0: Would you pray with me as we come to the word? Lord Jesus, we need desperately for you to speak to us this morning. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we're still dust. We need for you to come and do a new thing this morning. Lord, for you to come and and to make us into that new creation that you promise in 2 Corinthians 5. The old has gone, the new has come. Lord, would we be even newer this morning because of your presence? Come and speak to the hearts of your people, Lord Jesus. Convict, encourage everything in between. We are yours. Would you come and have your way in us this morning? And Lord, as always, may I decrease and you increase this morning. May your people hear your voice clearly as your word is taught. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So last week we took a a time out from the book of Mark to focus on a Thanksgiving service and to share. Uh, And it was great to hear all that the Lord has been doing over the last year in our body. Uh, But now it's time to jump back into the book of Mark. Uh, And we're going to pick up a few verses in chapter 3 and then spend most of our time focusing in chapter 4. There's something uh, two weeks ago when I was teaching through Mark chapter 3, I kind of skipped over uh, a a little passage that I want to come back to uh, this week. Starting in Mark chapter 3, 20 and 21. Then he went home. Okay, so Jesus is teaching. There's, there's these large crowds following him. He's starting to, uh, to get a reputation. People are hearing his name further and further out. And people are starting to make decisions, love, hate. It says, then he went home and a crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. They had started to hear some of the rumblings and people were going, man, it's the prophet Elijah come back to earth. Maybe it's the Messiah, his own mother and brothers. His brother, uh, James, would become the leader of the church after Jesus passed. But now we find it way back in the beginning and his own mother and brothers are going, he's out of his mind. What is he doing He can't be teaching these things. He can't be letting people say these things about him. What is he doing? As we enter into the Christmas season, one song that that you will begin to hear a lot if you haven't already begun to hear a lot is Mary, Did You Know? You guys know that song? I think the answer's no. I actually hate that song because the whole time I'm just going, I don't think she did. Why are we singing this? I don't think she did. Uh, If you love that song, I'm not... It's sweet and sentimental. I am neither of those things. I am practical and logical. I don't think she knew. His own family is looking at this ministry that he's building, this kingdom that he's ushering in and teaching about, and they're going, we have to go stop him. Another translation says, we have to go take control of him. He's out of his gourd. And so we, we, we skip the head then. Right after that is where the Pharisees come and they say, everything you're doing, you're doing by the power of Satan. He calls them on and says, man, that's that's stupid. Actually, I've come to bind Satan so that we could rob him blind. That's the mission that Jesus is on. And then after that, then his mother and his brothers came. So he just finishes that teaching. Then his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, look, your mother, your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now, at first reading, we go, whoa, Jesus, harsh. This is your mom. You can't just dismiss her and leave her waiting outside. Like, whoa. Sure, she may have been missing the plot, but like, This seems harsh. So did Jesus hate his mom? Was Jesus just a bad son who didn't take care of his mom? No. We see actually multiple occasions of him caring for his mother, uh, one even being at the very end when he is on the cross and he looks at his disciple John and he says, basically, take care of my mom when I'm gone. He says, woman, this is your son. Son, this is your mother take care of my mom when I'm gone. He had a heart of compassion for his mom. He loved his mom. But his point that he was trying to make to the crowd around him was just because you're even in my family, just because you know me, just because you grew up with me doesn't mean you're a part of the family of God. Look at the stipulation that he put on it there at the end. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. He didn't say whoever is okay with me Whoever just doesn't hate me, that's good enough. Whoever believes these certain things about me, you're fine. Whoever does the will of God is my sister, brother, and mother. It is an action statement. Jesus is going, if you want to become a part of what I'm doing, if you want to become a part of this family, this kingdom that I'm building, it is an action thing. It's about doing the will of God. Paul talks about this later in Ephesians 2, uh, 8 to 10. We're very familiar with 8 and 9, and we tend to stop there. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And then this part, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Paul is saying the same thing Jesus is like, look, This whole being a part of God's family thing, it's not just about checking boxes, saying you believe this or you believe that. It's about doing the work that God has called you to. Doing the will of my father, Jesus would say. Accomplishing the good works that God has set out for you before you were even born, Paul would say. It is an action-oriented faith that we have been called to. Just proximity, just showing up to church, just, just reading your Bible, just saying this or agreeing with that doesn't cut it. We are called to live out the will of God. This is what it is to be his sister, his brother, his mother. And, and to illustrate the point, Jesus didn't want to just leave it there. People might be confused. So he goes on in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. He says this, Again, he began to teach by the sea. Matthew says, "Later that day," all right. So this isn't like not a lot of time has passed here. Jesus teaches this in the afternoon and goes, "Hey, let's go out by the by the sea so that more people can hear what I have to say." So again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and he sat down, while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea. He taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path and the bird came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up right away, but since it didn't have deep soil, the sun, uh, when the sun came, it was scorched. And since it didn't have any root, it withered. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. And it didn't produce a crop. Still others fell uh, on good soil and produced a crop that increased 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Then he said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. All right. So anytime Jesus says this, and it's a, it's a pretty regular occurrence when he's teaching, he goes, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. That's his way of going, don't miss it. Out of everything else I've taught today, don't miss this. If God gave you ears, use them. Listen to what I'm saying is what he's trying to say. And his disciples, they understood the last part. And so they kind of circled up and they went, what'd you get from that? I don't know. I think we're supposed to plant flowers. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know what he's talking about. And so his disciples come to Jesus and they go, we want to do what you're telling us to, but we have no idea what you're saying. We don't understand this parable. And we're going to talk next week about Jesus gives them a little explanation of why he used parables. But for those that followed him, he said, let me break it down for you as clear as I can. So picking up in verse 13, then he said to them, just his disciples, he kind of got them together in a group. Then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. They are short lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. Others are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the ones sown on the good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, and produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. So let, let's take a look at this. There's, there's two ways of approaching this parable. I'm going to touch on one quickly, and we'll focus on the other one. Two ways of approaching this parable. The first one is this, we're the sower. Jesus is telling us, you should be out there sowing seed. You sh- to sow seed, literally, in that day, was they had a big bag of it, and it was just throwing it. They didn't have machines, they were just casting seed everywhere they went. And one approach to this parable is Jesus saying, you're to be the ones sowing the seed. The seed of the word, he says. Paul backs this up with uh, kind of an explanation of his ministry. In 1 Corinthians 3, there was a lot of fighting, and people were going, some were going, I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul, and everyone kind of had their favorite teachers. And Paul comes to them, and he says this. He he says, look, me and Apollos, we are nothing. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Now, the one planting and the one watering are in one purpose, are one in purpose, And each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field and God's building. So Paul would look at this parable and he goes, I am called to be the one sowing. We, we, as believers, are called to be sowing the seed of the word everywhere we go. Whether it's because nurses call us over and, and just hand it to us on a silver platter whether it's because people just see the way that we live in our life demands an explanation, we are called to be those who sow the seed everywhere we go. That is one way to approach this parable, and it's a right way, but there's also a second way to approach it, and it's that we're the soil. So let's look at the four kinds of soil that Jesus describes here, because all of us find ourselves in one of these categories And here's the thing. Sometimes in one area of our life, we're one. And in another area, we're a different one. We're complex creatures. But all of us find ourselves primarily in one of these categories. So the first is the path. Mark 4, 4. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Again, his disciples go, we don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, okay, let me me make it clear. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. He's saying, look, they're like the path. Their hearts are like the path, hard-packed, and it's actually physically impossible for seed to get through. There is such a hard shell that the seed can't come through. In fact, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown. We find in 2 Corinthians 4, we looked at this passage a couple weeks ago. Paul teaching and he says, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It is physically impossible for them to receive the word. Satan comes and steals it. Their hearts have been so hardened. But here is the beauty of the God that we serve. He says, with men, some things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The work of the Holy Spirit is to overcome the enemy. Jesus says, look, Satan is trying to come and steal that word. But what did he just say? I have bound the strong man. I tied him up so that we could ransack what's his. The Holy Spirit is at work drawing men to himself, softening hearts so that they are able to receive the word. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 4, why he had come. He got up in the middle of a synagogue and they handed him a scroll of Isaiah and he started reading and here's what he read about his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, we see some physical times where Jesus actually does these things, and people are physically blind, and he sets them free. They receive sight because of his ministry. But there is a much deeper spiritual truth to what Jesus is teaching. There are people who are captives to Satan that I have come to set free. There are those who are blinded by Satan, and I have come to give them sight. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to buy back those that have been enslaved. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. No one has to remain on the path. You see, there's this beautiful partnership that that works between us and the Lord. And when it comes to the path, Jesus wasn't going, look, some people are just hopeless, Don't bother. He was going in and of themselves. It is impossible. But the Spirit of God comes to break up fallow ground. To break up the hard heart so that it is able to receive. And then in partnership, that person is to do exactly what Jesus has been teaching up to this point. To repent and believe. When they hear the word, they have opportunity at that point to partner with the Holy Spirit and repent and believe or they have opportunity to go back to the hardness of their heart and to go, that was weird, and just move on with it. No one on the path has to remain the path. The Spirit is drawing men to himself. Some of you in here right now are the path. Your heart is hard. Maybe you come to church because that's what happens. That's just what a, a good person does. It's what happened in your family, whatever it is. Maybe you're intrigued by all of this, but you haven't really done what we will see in the other soils, which is to accept the word, to receive it. Right now, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Will you partner with him? Repent. Turn from your old ways to a new way and believe the word. Believe that Jesus is inviting you into his family, inviting you into his kingdom work. So the first soil is the path. The second soil is the rocky ground. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it sprang up right away and it didn't, since it didn't have deep soil, when the sun came up, it was scorched and since it didn't have root, it withered. Again, the disciples go, we, we want to understand, but we, we don't get it. So he explains it to them and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy but they have no root in themselves. They are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. They immediately receive it with joy. They hear God wants to set you free from your sin. God wants to give you life. Maybe they hear, hey, hell sounds real hot. God wants you to go to heaven instead one day. Whatever message they hear, they receive it with joy. Yes, I want that. But there is no effort to put down deep roots. It just remains this emotional decision, this thing that happened because the camp speaker was really good, because I was in a bad place and heaven sounded better than hell, whatever it may be, but there's no movement toward maturity. They remain in that just emotional state. It sounded good, it sounded like this joyful thing, so I took it, and that's as far as it went. They have no roots. He says they are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes, when the family member goes, what are you talking about? You're a Christian now. When, when the word makes clear that a change needs to happen in their life, they go, that's too much pressure. That's too big. I didn't sign up for that. And they're scorched by the sun because they have no root and they wither. There's the among the thorns, which is kind of a brother to the rocky ground. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it didn't produce a crop. Again, the disciples, please be clear. So Jesus says, others are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So these are ones who, who hear it, they're, they're trying to put down roots They're trying to grow and to mature, but they keep getting choked out spiritually by desires for wealth, by worries about other things. The worries of this age, seduction of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke them out. They don't have a singular focus. I am now a member of the kingdom, and the king's will is my will. What the king says to do, I will do. This is not the singular focus they have. They're trying to have both, a foot in both worlds. I wanna be comfortable now and get eternal blessings later. I wanna make it through this life without having to actually sacrifice or do anything hard. I just want good things now. They live in a state of competition instead of submission. All of those desires that come up, and listen, we all have desires. We all want nice things and comfort and health and for things to go smoothly. But instead of leaving those things in submission to to Jesus, like Jesus did to the Father in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Instead of putting those things into submission, they try to live in a state of competition. Okay, Jesus, I'll give you Sunday, but that means the the, the rest of the week is mine. You can have this money, but then I get to do whatever I want with this money. I'm trying to have it both ways. Be happy in this world and in the next. Have everything go smooth and easy in this world and be great in the next. And that is not how the kingdom works. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to put others above ourselves. We're called to to give away and to be generous. And that will butt heads with the desires of this life. Desires for wealth and for comfort. You can't have both. And eventually what Jesus says here is that it becomes choked out and unfruitful. Jesus says some harsh things later. We're going we're to read them in the Gospels about plants that are unfruitful. He says they're really only good for one thing, to be thrown into the fire and to be burned. And that's harsh. Even his disciples call him on it at one point and they go, whoa, whoa, Jesus. Calm down. And he says, look, either it's growing and bearing fruit or it's not. And I'm not trying to make some ultimatum of, again, if you've screwed up this week or if you were in a season where your will is in competition with the Lord and you haven't submitted it yet, like, oh, man, you're out. You're destined for hell. I'm not trying to make that strong of a case. But what I'm trying to say is Jesus didn't leave us the option to try to please both masters, try to please myself and him. He said, there's only one king. There's only one master. Will we submit or will we compete? There's an instant gratification culture that we live in that, that, man, it sounds so appealing. I can have everything I want right now. Just click buy now on Amazon and it's all mine instead of waiting on the fulfilled promises of God. Lord, I am completely yours. Everything I have is yours. Every breath I have is yours. How are you calling me to live? You can't have both. One will choke out the other. Finally, Jesus gives us the good soil. He says, still others fell on good ground, and it produced a crop that increased 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. He tells his disciples later, but the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, and produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. They hear the word, and they welcome it. And listen, this isn't just talking about somebody tells you the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and you go, awesome, I'm in. Again, we've seen that. They receive it with joy, and that's as far as it goes. But living in a state of receiving the word of God and welcoming it in. Lord, what you tell me to be about, I'm in. What you tell me to set down, it's gone. My heart is a posture of submission, and I receive the word, and I welcome it. Come and change me. Death to self. Like that, that is a tough selling point, but that is the gospel. Those who receive the word and welcome it, and then produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Multiplication happens. Here's the way that a plant works. As a plant, you know, it begins as a seed, it starts to grow up, and when in good soil, when it has the conditions that it needs, it grows to maturity, and whether it grows flowers or fruit or vegetables or whatever it is, it drops its seed, and out of one plant, we then start to get many plants. He says this is the way that it is supposed to be with believers. As we become the good soil with a singular focus on him, We grow and mature and we begin to scatter seed and see kingdom change happening around us. And look, he doesn't just go and then one or two other plants grow up. 30, 60, 100 times. Jesus' expectation isn't just, you know, you have a good week or a good month and now go sit down and rest for a while. He says the whole purpose of the plant maturing is to spread seed further and see more plants grow. This is is what it is to follow Jesus. To remove the rocks and the thorns out of our life so that we can grow deep roots and we can mature and begin to scatter seed and see others changed and transformed and come to life and grow and mature around us. And then they begin to scatter seed. And on and on it goes and the kingdom is moved forward. We started with, with Jesus telling uh, those that were sitting around him, look, you want to know who my mother, my brother, my, 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 my sisters are? Those who do the will of God. Doing the will of God is producing a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. That your life affects the lives of others 30, 60, 100 times over. And that we see new life growing up because we have chosen to live with a singular focus. Does this make sense, church? So really what we're looking at here, as Jesus shares this, it's a story of four responses. The path, initially, here's the good news of the gospel. Here's that Jesus is inviting them in and chooses to go, too hard, no Thanks. I'll go back to what's easy, what's comfortable for me. They they allow their heart to remain hard. And their response is actually no response. The rocky ground. They receive it with joy. But they don't do the hard work of putting down roots. Of growing deep into who Jesus has called them to be. And as soon as persecution comes... As soon as pressure comes, they're scorched, and they wither. The thorny ground, those who refuse to have a singular focus on Jesus. My life is about kingdom life, the end. They pray prayers, or they don't, excuse me, pray prayers like, Lord, if it's not from you, take it. If this desire isn't from you, I lay it down but they try to live in both worlds, and they are choked out because of it. And then the good soil. Those who deal with the rocks and thorns, those who keep their eyes focused on the king, and their lives affect many others, 30, 60, 100 times over. The point of this is only one response is acceptable. Jesus wasn't trying to go, look, there's bad, then there's okay, then there's the best. If you're rocky or thorny, eh, I'll see you in heaven, but it's okay. Jesus' whole point is going, these first three, they don't make it. They're scorched, they're withered. They're seeds that's just eaten by the birds. There's only one response to the kingdom invitation that will do. And that is a singular focus. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm dead. The desires that I have, every time they start to come up, I nail them to the cross. Because if they're not from him, I don't have time for them. I live with a singular focus that people would see the king lived out in me. That my life would spread seed. As I grow and mature, other lives are changed because of it 30, 60, 100 times. So let's share a little bit together. Let's learn from each other and just trying to be real practical as we share. What are rocks and thorns in our lives? What are things that keep us from growing down deep or the things that choke us out as we try to grow? What are they in your life? What are they, some common ones that we have? What do you think? Yeah, comfort and instant gratification is what she said. They will keep us from putting down roots and from growing up strong. What else? Busyness? Sure. Yeah, I mean, he, even he says it so clearly like, just the concerns of this life and all the different things pulling our attention keep us from having that singular focus and we will wither. What else? None of you guys have rocks or thorns? You're all just killing it? Me, sure. me too. Sure. Yeah. maybe hunger or entertainment or sexual all that stuff is more important to us than Yeah. Yeah our own desires. For me, here's what it looks like. Have you ever had those things that you're scared to talk to Jesus about? Those things that like, you know you're supposed to pray about and ask him, hey, is this from you? But something in you goes, don't do it, he might say no. Don't do it, he'll probably say no. At those point in times, we're looking at it, we're going, this, this is thorns beginning to grow up. This is rocks that need to be taken out of the soil, and I have a, I have a choice to make, I have a response. Do I in those times go, What you want for me is better than what I want for myself. Growing up and being the good soil and having kingdom seed spread is more important than my own comfort right now, my own instant gratification, this thing that I want, whatever it is. Am I willing to go to him and lay those things down? Or do I choose to step back and go, maybe he just won't ask again. And I'll just kind of like put the blinders on and go do what makes me comfortable. Have you guys ever had that experience? Or is that just me? Okay. Those are rocks and thorns. We have decisions to make at those point when when all of a sudden we're scared to bring it to him. Are we going to allow him to remove the rocks to pull out the thorns or are we going to wither and scorch? Anything else? Rocks, thorns in our lives. Pride? It's a big one. It's a very, very big one. Yeah, I, I would actually argue that pride is, is the root of all of the rest of these problems. Because we come to that decision, we see that rock, we see that thorn, and really what's going on is who's God here? Who's king? Is it me or is it him? That, that is a proud question, but that's what's at the heart of all of this. Okay, so let's look at things from the other side. There, here's some things that we need to be careful of, some things that we need to avoid, some of those things that will stunt our growth. Let's look at the other side. What does a harvest look like? A crop, as he refers to it there. Practically speaking, what does it look like in your life, in Elkins, whatever it is, if we were the kind of of plant that was in good soil, grow up, and was seeing a crop born? What would that look like? Okay. Personally speaking, it would look like fruits of the Spirit. It would look like people seeing the Holy Spirit when they look at me, not seeing me doing my best. Okay, what else? Sharing love with people, yeah. What would be the fruit of that? So we get real good at at sharing love. We get real good at casting that seed. What are some of the effects that happen? death to life, okay? We see people coming to faith. We see people coming to know Jesus, to accept and grow in him. What else? Okay. All of a sudden, like the stories that we tell, our sharing times, I guarantee would be different. There, There would be passion. There would be encouraging one another. There would be challenging one another. There would be a community on fire, passionate, about growing and moving each other forward? What would happen to things like addiction in our community, broken homes in our community, uh, abuse in our community? What would some of those things start to look like? Yeah. Yeah. There would be restoration in our community. Relationships would be mended. People would be healed. We we look at it and we see it as maybe it's a political problem. Maybe it's a monetary problem. If we just started this program, Elkins would get better. If we just did this or did that, Elkins would get better. Scripturally, what I find is if the church was the church, Elkins would get better. Not that this would ever be a perfect place, free of sin. We're all still fallen people, but we would begin to see a decrease in the lostness, in the darkness around us we would see true kingdom change happening because as I love my neighbor and begin to walk with my neighbor into transformation and then they begin to walk with their family and their neighbors, all of a sudden this starts to have a whole community impact. The kind of community, honestly, that we've been praying about as a church for years now. The kind of differences that we want to see, but it starts here, not with somebody else doing something different, but with me. Am I going to choose to be the good soil, singular focus on the king for the change of those around me? Or am I going to choose to live somewhat selfishly, maybe still better than most other people, but in my heart I know it's rocky, it's thorny. So the last question I'll ask, we don't have to answer out loud, but I'm going to give us a minute just to reflect If Jesus were to come back today, which we believe that he could, what fruit would you have to offer? What fruit has there been? What kingdom change has happened in your own life, in your family, in your community, because of the way that you have chosen to follow Jesus? To stop and, and man, if if they're just coming to you, this person is different, this person is different, this family member, this, then just praise the Lord. If they're not, then start asking him, Lord, what are the rocks and thorns, and how do we remove them? Because we are called to live the kind of lives that change the community that we're in, that bring the kingdom to life on earth as it is in heaven. So let's take a minute, and just between you and the Lord, or if you're here with a family, you guys can discuss it. If Jesus returned today, what fruit would you have to offer? the music team to come up and am just going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, I hear this parable and I know that I want to be the good soil. I know that that is the right answer. I know that that is the thing that I'm supposed to desire and on some level that is the thing that I desire. But then Monday morning starts and there's that thing that I want to do. There's that thing I don't want to lay down. There's that that thing that I, I don't want to offer to you. And this becomes real. Would you lead us as a church through your Holy Spirit to lay down anything that's not of you, anything that hinders our growth? Because your kingdom is moving forward, because you are calling us to be kingdom agents in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools in Elkins and beyond. And Lord, the only way that that happens is if we work with you to remove the rocks, to remove the thorns. We offer those things to you, and truly, God, we allow you to do that work so that we can grow down deep in our relationship with you. Not just infants drinking milk anymore, as Paul said, but grown men eating steak because we have grown deep roots in you and our lives have matured and we're now bearing fruit. Fruit that is changing the world around us. So I pray, Lord Jesus, just as you prayed, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Would your will be done through your church that Elkins might look more like heaven tomorrow than it did today. Do this work that only you can do, God. And may we just continually submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to stand as we sing.